I decided, hey, let's go put this on GitHub, and I made my first commit. I started like manually pulling things into that repo. It was all based off style components because we had decided our design system would have style components. And I started like realizing the way I thought people would want to use it was not the way that they were using it. But like it started kind of proving to me like this isn't just fun for me to build. Like a lot of people want these kind of patterns and want these tools in their libraries. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Travis Waithmare. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, you're, you're an individual. We only just recently like jumped on a call a, a few weeks ago. But I've been aware of your work and aware of you through actually Anthony, who's been on this podcast twice already. So AJC Web Dev, shout out. And yeah, wanted to have you come on and talk about your work with Bedrock, really. Yeah. But I'll stop there and have you introduce yourself and tell us uh, who you are and how you got here. Yeah, I'm uh, Travis Waithmare. I'm a uh... Currently working for Plex, the uh, media company, does media servers as well as we have free content. But I've kind of been all around, worked for different places, including Pluralsight and uh, Anonymy Labs and R1. But I'm probably most famous for my open source library called Bedrock Layout. Uh, Actually, Bedrock Layout Primitives, but most people just end up saying Bedrock Layout because it's kind of a long name. Um, which is both a React and a CSS framework that allows you to basically do composable layouts to compose like pretty sophisticated layouts with just kind of individual parts. I call it the low dash of web layouts. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I, I saw that in your 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 tagline. I guess ignorant for me because I haven't used Lodash in a while. Because like I think the internet or JavaScript ever like, hey, we don't want to use Lodash anymore, so I, I stopped. Yeah. Do people still use Lodash? I don't think people directly use Lodash anymore. That I, in fact, I've never brought it in on purpose on, in a project of mine. But it's famous enough that it seems like everybody knows what it is. And it kind of explains the concept of what I'm trying to do with Bedrock. So that's kind of why I do the Lodash of web layout. Because it's that same idea. Of like Individually, all these like utilities don't do a lot. But when composed together, they do some pretty complicated things. Yeah, I, I guess what I use now is I use a, a hooks library uh, called Rooks, which is not like Lodash. It's not it's, it's not apples apples, but it is like the sort of the massive. It will eventually be a massive library of just random hooks that do random things on the web. Uh, and Lodash, if anybody's, uh, I know we have a lot of bootcamp grads and a lot of new new engineers, and maybe missed the Lodash phase, but Lodash is like a bunch of like. JavaScript helper libraries. So if you wanted to like concatenate strings, because it was easier to type concat instead of, I guess it wasn't it wasn't part of the uh, standard lib um, for a long time. So, but there's a lot of stuff that's in there that are now part of the standard lib, like map and reduce and all these things that like yes didn't exist and now they are in there. That's kind of why it's like if it's in the standard library, just use the standard library. But like yeah, it does a lot of really cool things. Allows you to do like. Things that you can now do with like like sets and maps and things like that, you couldn't do before easily. So yeah, yeah. And you know, you say that aloud because like you've been writing code for so long. Like you've been writing code for a while. I've been writing code for a while. 
I forgot a lot of that stuff wasn't in the standard lib. Like I use map, uh, and I think we just use I just use reduce on a, a problem recently, and it was like it was one of those situations where I was like, oh yeah, of course reduce is going to work. I'm going to type reduce, and then it'll do the thing I think it's going to do. But I forget that JavaScript used to not have that in standard lib, and I I think uh, I want to get into more about bedrock, and I I, I could see where the where the low dash for I guess uh, design system grid systems. But I wanted to go back and just find out more about your your background. Yeah, like how did you find your way into? You mentioned like Pluralsight. You're at Plex now. Like how did you find yourself in the in the writing code? I actually have a bachelor's degree in business administration. Excellent. I used to be a stockbroker. Oh wow, amazing! <laughs> and I, I, in fact, I even for a period of time thought I went on to be a doctor, and I was like a a pre med. So, like, I've had a bunch of like career like changes. Wait, was that pre med? Was that before the business stockbroker life, or is after? Actually, it was kind of like in the middle. It's this really weird phase in the middle where, like, I I was in business. I did stockbroker because I was married and I had a kid at the time, and I I needed something stable. And I got um, I was working at Fidelity Investments as a temp during their tax season. And they said, "Hey, we like you. We're going to bring you on full time. We'll give you get you a license." And I'm like, "Okay, I fell into it." But the thing with the stockbroker's license, like, if you don't use it for two years, it goes away. So it's kind of like you kind of feel like you can't ever leave the industry because you never want to lose that license that you work months to get. So I ended up doing that for a while, but I was never satisfied as a as a stockbroker. Like, I went from Fidelity to E Trade. To like Wells Fargo Investments, and in that process, like I'm basically working call center, so I'm not doing like really cool, like sexy things that people think that you're doing. I'm basically like McDonald's for stocks. I'm like, hey, would you like fries with your <laughs> your uh, Apple stock or whatever? Like that's basically all I was doing. Yeah. And call center, if anyone's ever done that kind of work before, it's demoralizing. Like they know to the second how long you've been on the phone, and if you've missed your schedule even a, a little bit, they, they're on your back. It was crappy. I hated it. And my wife's from New Zealand, and we hadn't been back there for eight years. And I was thinking of going into to medical. So I actually got accepted into their medical program in New Zealand, partially as a way for me to try out the career, to see if that's something I want to do, as well as an excuse to go back to New Zealand, see if that's where we want to be for the next phase of our life. Did that for a bit, but it ended up not being really where we wanted to be, and we came back to the States. And that's when I got went back into the stockbrokerage world, but not as a broker, but as a compliance officer. And I did that for um, about four years until I lost, I moved to New York, um, upstate New York, not Manhattan. Not, not in the scene. <laughs> so when you were doing the call center work, were you, you were obviously not in New York then? That was all in Utah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Utah and I, that was all in Utah. And in fact, Utah is like one of the biggest, like, Call center place brokerage, like it was call center places as well as like brokerage places. Because a lot of these places they'll go to the mate to the coast, but then they'll have their second biggest place in Utah because it was like it's such a business friendly state. And yeah, and then cost of living was pretty cheap. Utah now is extraordinarily expensive, yeah. which is why I've left Utah. But then cost of living was really cheap, so they could hire some good people pretty cheap. But yeah, I moved to upstate New York, started working for Morgan Stanley as a compliance officer, and then I lost my job. In that process of being a a compliance officer, I started dabbling in programming with Excel with macros. And in fact, I 
I kind of like theorize that Excel is like a lot of financial people's gateway drug into programming. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here listening, and it, it was it was mine. Uh, I also have a finance degree, and my goal was actually to be one of those call center people, <laughs> and then. And and sell stocks to um, to retirees and stuff like that. Uh, I graduated in two thousand eight, so I couldn't actually find a proper role to get my foot in the door. Uh, so I did a sales role. That's the worst time to have tried to get into the finance world in two thousand eight. Yeah, but I did in a, a sales admin role where I was actually uh, inputting deals through Excel and using um, macros to to automate all that process. So I'm right there with you. Like uh, it's it's a really it's a it is a gateway and uh, it's a, there's a reason why Excel is like still such a strong piece of software years later. And, and it's amazing what you can do with it. Like it started off with as a compliance officer I need to go review trade blotters which a trade blotter for anyone out there who doesn't know like it's all the trades that a financial advisor does and there's certain rules they have to follow like they can't put their trades for the same stock in front of their clients' trades. They have to they have to take the worst, you know, potential position. So things like that, we have to make sure that the they're not like making trades without their clients' permission unless they have like a power of attorney on file to do those. So we we have to review all these trade ladders to make sure that they're not doing incorrect things. And they were just Excel spreadsheets and I had like I would do the same like filtering and all the things on the spreadsheets over and over again. That so I started recording macros, but then the macros would break. So I would go into the macros to see how I could make them like work dynamically for any spreadsheet. Well, then I started finding out that you could also make HTTP calls right in Excel, and so I started like actually like screen scraping and doing HTTP calls for data that I had access in other systems. So I wouldn't have to manually go back and forth to different screens. I'd just bring that data right into Excel. Then I and that was like at that point, that was like mind blowing to me that I could actually like never leave Excel and just like do all my compliance work. I get like most of the time, like it would take people like fifty hours and I was getting it done in like thirty hours because I was saving that much time. <laughs> I have a very similar experience, but <laughs> I'll save my story. Uh <laughs> well actually most people know my story. Um I, I was recently on the Code Newbies podcast, which I'll I'll make I'll live to that as a pick. But yeah, so what's the point that you got to building layouts? Like how how did you get interested in that? So I made the transition when I got fired. <laughs> okay, that's a perfect time to do, make a transition. And I, my wife and I had been talking about that switch because like, it got to the point where the only thing that made me excited every day was coming in and finding a new way to optimize my job through like Excel or something else. Like that. I started like learning JavaScript as well because their websites were still old enough. The, the finance world is really slow at adopting technology and their websites were still old enough their scripts were still like directly right in their HTML. So I could like read all the scripts for like some of the web pages I was using and I was recreating them in Excel to like redo some of the things. So I was starting to learn JavaScript just to uh, reverse engineer them. And it was like around that time that I made a mistake as a compliance officer. And it was enough that they're like, yeah, we're going to let you go for it. And the crappy thing about the finance world is that if you make a mistake, like if you get let go from a job, they put that on a record permanently. So if you go to some other job out there, they know what kind of mistake you make. And if they hire you, other, everybody else knows they hired someone who made that kind of a mistake. And they're like, 
we like you, we, you think you'd be a good asset, but we don't want your record on our record. So sorry. Yeah. Well, that's wild. Imagine if that was the same case for like developers. Like if you took down production, <laughs> it's like, oh man, you took down Netflix. Like you, you, you won't ever work in this business ever again. Yeah. You were the reason why AWS was down for a half a day and all the websites stopped working. Yeah. And I get the point of it. They want to like weed out bad apples who continuously just move from firm to firm and do bad things. But it's also crappy. Like, I made a mistake. I owned it. In fact, I brought the, the mistake up to them and, and like, hey, I, this is a mistake, but it was a big enough that they felt they had to let me go. Like, and I kind of thought that was fair, but it was also crappy because I could never get into it again. But it also gave me an excuse to switch industries because when you're, you're high enough in an industry and you have, at that point, I had four kids and a wife who was supporting me and I was in upstate New York, which is not cheap. Even though it's not Manhattan expensive, but it's still not cheap. Like I'm not willing to like just jump ship and move to another career and start over. But when I've lost my job already, my wife's like, "You've been talking about this forever. Let's just make the change." <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, there were boot camps at the time, but like I had no money coming in. I was on unemployment and like relying off like my church to help me, like you know, top top me up and pay my rent some of the months during this period of time. So I wasn't joining a boot camp. I just like whatever I could find online for free, I was like doing it. And the funny thing was like when I started learning React, like I did not understand something with React and I threw it on Twitter just because I didn't understand it. And some guy started helping me. And then a few years later I was looking back through my tweets, found out that was Dan Abramoff. He was helping me and I didn't even know <laughs> Oh really? Some random dude. Yeah. I thought it was just some random dude. I didn't know enough to know that he was someone I should be like Wow, he's helping me out on Twitter. Yeah, it, it's Dan's a great guy. He uh, definitely he. Uh, I remember Dan before Dan was Dan, and like around the the Redux, like pre Redux times. But anyway, long story short, um, yes. So you're working on Bedrock. It's like what what problem were you were you solving? Oh yeah, so I eventually started working at R one through a couple. Of, it was my first like senior role, and specifically they wanted a design system built. And so that was the team. I was the first one they hired. I ended up getting a team of four people. We were building, at, plus a, a designer, we were building it, this design system. And the, the thing that we were trying to solve was our designer really was big on, on layout and spacing and people actually like following the design system spacing scheme. Because it's really easy for, as a developer, and, and I'm guilty of this, I think all of us probably are, just like, just start throwing in like some rems and ms until it looks right. You're like, yeah, that looks about right. And you, you know, you throw a, you know, it's about pixel perfect or, you know, throw in a margin, random margin here, random whatever. And it works until you have to do something else and then it breaks and then you have to go fix all of it. And we're pretty lazy as developers. We're going to do the thing with the, the least resistance, which is usually just throw on a margin top or throw in like a padding bottom and just quickly like, throw in whatever random number instead of the actual scheme that the design system wanted to have. So we started building these layout components, started off with this uh, stack. And a lot of these were based off Hayden Pickering's every layout, if you ever seen that. That's where they kind of started off with. But like we had stacks and like inlines and, and just things to put things in line. But they started growing in complexity depending on what design pattern we want to do. So if you want to do like a split pattern, which would be like 
you have one thing on one, just basically a, a sidebar and a main content. But like sometimes you want to have like different like levels of, of splits, like um, different fractions of like one third, whatever. Anyway, we started like creating all, more and more of these design patterns that were like to give like a vocabulary for the designers to give to the to the developer. So like this is a cover pattern here, or this is a inline cluster, and it basically like would easily define not just like the spacing scheme, but like what design pattern and responsive design pattern we were trying to follow. So th- that was really cool. feeling really proud about that. And I really wanted to move that design system open source. It was all internal. And but if you've ever worked on an internal design system, it's all the complications of having open source without any of the benefits of open source. And so like we had to deal with like an internal NPM repo and we couldn't use a lot of like open source tools that automatically just plug into like things like open source or things like that that just easily plug right into open source repos and I want to be able to use those. And so I set up a meeting with my my manager. I knew it was an uphill battle, but I wanted to at least like present it, like get the idea in. And so he comes into the meeting and I'm like, hey, I just wanted to talk about the possibility of open sourcing our design system. And before I can even talk about like the benefits and all that things, he's like, no, we're not going to do that. It's never going to happen. Like shut me down before I could even say a thing. And I was like, whatever. Yeah. What was our, what was the reasoning for, for not even approaching it? It was a battle. He didn't want to even try to fight with legal And, and I get it. But like, it was like, if there was anything to open source, the design system was the easiest thing to open source because it has no business logic in it. The, the intention is to make it decoupled from like any business logic so it could be used universally. And it was like the easiest thing. And he's like, only if I really felt there would be like a really big benefit. Yeah. But which in my mind, there are benefits to, to open sourcing it. But like he'd shut it down before I could even tell him like all these benefits. He just decided automatically to the get go. So I didn't even bother going through all these things. Because he had already like shut his mind off to it. Yeah, and sorry, what was the the, the company, their business like? What what was the business? They're uh, healthcare. They're um, yeah revenue cycle management for healthcare. They they basically they they take advantage of the inefficiencies of the U.S. healthcare system by like helping it so doctors can get actually get paid by the insurance. That's basically what they do. Yeah, the the, the bread and butter is not a developer tool, so I could see. Your manager thinking, okay, well, we're we have a business that's not selling to developers. Yeah. So, like, what I'm working on, uh, and I, I have, I'm literally pitching a company and a business of like open source actually is super valuable for a company like R1, where if you have a, a design system that everyone's using, then everyone's going to be like, oh, what is this company? Should I go work there? And then there's always an un, there's an unending pipeline of developers that are interested in working for your company because of this one open source project. And the, the other things, and sorry, this is just for the listener because I've been doing a lot of a lot of pitching on on this idea. Of all the repos that are on GitHub, two hundred eighty million, only two hundred thousand have more than five contributors. So if you have an open source project that's used by you and your your other four team members, you're now in the top 001 percent. Wow! So you now you you get pulled into the React conferences and all these other conversations because you have to have a design system. And like I know we haven't got to this point where like yeah about Tanner, but Tanner works at a very small startup as well. Well, I don't know how small they are now, but less than fifty people for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. He's he was the only front end dev for the longest time there. Like not just the like the head of front end development. Like he was pretty much also the only one for ages. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a good segue because it was around this time I was also like I was taking the bus a lot. Actually, it was just prior to R one, but like I was taking the bus a lot into R one, and there's this guy that like he would always get off, and we end up just. Like talking, uh, it was actually the train, but we t- train in the bus. But we would like be talking a lot, and then like we just start geeking out about like web development and different things. And he show me things he's doing, and then like one of the times he started showing me something he's working on, and I realized he was working on a React table. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're Tanner Lindsley, this guy that we've been using your open source project in, in what we were doing. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm like, I didn't even know that was you. Anyway. He was super down there. And that's if you ever go to a conference for all the listeners out there, if you go to a conference or just use an open source thing, sometimes we kind of put some of these people up on pedestals, like especially the speakers and all that. And as we've already brought up two instances, like Dan Abramoff and Tanner Lindsley, some people who are like could be like pretty like considered pretty big people in the open source community. And they're super down to earth. They'll just sit there and talk to anybody. So if you're ever at like a conference, go talk to the speakers afterwards. You'll get so much insight and have so much fun talking to them. Yeah, and you also get to see you see how approachable, not approachable they are, but also approachable the work they're doing is. Because uh, a lot of that starts with a small idea. So like with your design system, it starts with, oh, we just want to have consistent patterns that we can pull from the shelf and like everyone be on the same page when it comes to building web, web apps. We have this design system and we have these layout components part of it that I'm really proud of. And I just got shut down. And I call this my revenge-driven development moment. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what would it look like to build these components without the design system? Just like bring it in. So I started like playing around and uh, just locally on my computer, just building up a like a mono repo using Lerna of these components and just like started playing around with that idea. And I'm like, totally got rid of all the spacing scheme. I made up my own spacing scheme just randomly um, based off t-shirt sizes just to get something started. And then I believe that that was like, just to give some timeline, I started doing that like a week just before Christmas. Cause I had, a, I took that as a break later the next year. I think it was sometime around in May or April. I decided, hey, let's go put this on GitHub, and I made my first commits. I started like manually pulling things into that repo, and just started making them work. So it was all based off style components because we had decided our design system would have style components, and a lot of those like early like assumptions. I started like building things based off early assumptions how people might use it, and then I actually got someone who started using it, um, a company called Clavio, and they started like. At least one person on their team started like bringing in like, "Hey, what about this? How do we do this kind of pattern?" And we started collaborating. And I started like realizing the way I thought people would want to use it was not the way that they were using it. And luckily, I wasn't far too far down the path that I was able to kind of backtrack and like actually build some things. But like, it started kind of proving to me like this isn't just fun for like our company or like fun for me to build. Like a lot of people want these kind of patterns and want these tools in their libraries. And so I had already at that point as well, like got someone to build a logo because all good libraries need a logo. 
So I went on Fiverr, said, hey, let's do a logo. And I had something dumb up there. But I'm like, hey, let's build a proper documentation website. So I started like really building it and eventually adopted Storybook as the, the library because it's just me who's building it. And I was already building Storybook just to make sure things looked right. And I was considering using Chromatic for visual regression testing. But I decided to fully adopt Storybook as the whole doc site just so I didn't have to recreate like the same like examples and then the same visual regression test over and over again. That's awesome. And then so since you've open sourced it, like what's <laughs> how much money have you made from this? I'm just kidding. <laughs> what what hopes and dreams have you uh, I have made negative ten dollars a month. Negative ten dollars a month. <laughs> At least. <laughs> Is that uh hosting? <laughs> yeah, no yeah, it was more from the Netlify analytics because I wanna like I'm curious if people are coming, but I don't want to put like Google Analytics in there. So that means I'm I'm paying the ten dollars a month just to satisfy my curiosity of whether people are coming to my website or not. <laughs> Excellent. As far as open source goes, like, was it a good decision to open source this? Has it become a burden that you have to continue to maintain this thing? It hasn't. Sometimes I wonder if people are using it until I break something and then I see the issues. It's kind of one of, it's kind of an interesting set of community where like no one's like so far like actively like throwing out in issues or throwing in things that they want. Um, until something breaks and then people will start throwing in. Like this week I went and made some updates and all my, my links broke and somebody like threw it in. It's like, hey, all your uh, links across your website are broken because you did something with a, the Storybook update that I recently adopted. I adopted the Storybook 7 beta and it broke all my links and I didn't notice because I just it looked good when I first deployed. And so I didn't go click every single link. Um, but somebody else did. And so, yeah, I want to go f- want to fix the link. So that's the kind of community it is. It's like something's broken, they'll tell me. But other than that, I'm in my own world, hoping that I'm benefiting people's lives. <laughs> yeah, it's the, uh, I was talking to Frost, uh, and Frost on the podcast earlier this year. It's like this pervasive incentive uh, in open source, yeah. where if you have a project that everyone loves and they're enjoying and they install the updates and there's nothing ever broken, they forget about you. Yeah, but like there was like it's a, it was a the pervasive it was like basically about sponsorship and sustainability and stuff like that. But you kind of have to sometimes like send a notice or update or if something breaks and you like you leave it broken for a little bit, then there's like an incentive for them to talk to you. And it's like a it's a challenge in open source if you're doing everything right <laughs> that uh, you, you get forgot about. But when you're not doing everything right and there's a lot of like issues and people complain, so it's like it is a challenge in open source and it's like the awareness problem as well. Because like we were just talking, we were talking about Lodash. Like I haven't used Lodash in forever. It's like I'm aware of it. I just forgot when we all decided to stop using it. And with with Bedrock, I can imagine being the grid system. It's like this like the first thing you think about. So I, I spent time actually working at Netlify, and we did a whole rewrite. And the first thing we started doing was like, hey, we're gonna this company's gonna get bigger. We should probably do like a design system. Uh, and the first when we did the design system, I was like, oh yeah, let me have this like a button component in this. And the designer pushed back. He's like, "No, we actually need a grid system first, and we had to make a decision so that way every time we have this problem, we all know, okay, this is how the grid system works, and this is our constraints." It wasn't like a ton of constraints. It's just like we just want to make it look elegant and, and like make sense. Because uh, prior to that, like I used to say this all the time, but like when I joined Netlify back in 2015, that was early Netlify, right? Yeah, 2015. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, I was employee number three, so I was very early. But there was like seven different greens on the site, oh, like different yeah. hues. And it was like one of those things where like your engineers, the Matt, who's the CEO, built all, all the all the work before I got there. He's not a designer. <laughs> so he just like, well, we're just like throwing stuff together. Uh, and I get there, we're just throwing stuff together. And then one day someone's like, hey, can we like clean this up a bit? It's like, what's wrong with it? It looks perfect. Yeah, for a bunch of co- colorblind. That's one of the probably biggest problems with having males be like the dominant part of the industry is that like most of us are colorblind. Yeah. And so we're like, yeah, these look, greens look good. <laughs> and designers are like, no, they don't. <laughs> So what's what's next with Bedrock? Like, what are you what are you looking to accomplish now that you you've been working on this for a little bit? So yeah, like the biggest thing I ended up doing was I did recently was I moved away from style components as its base. I brought that along because that's how it was built, and I was like, I'm going to own this for what it's worth. But as I've been open source, I realized a that that fixes me with only those apps that are a using React and using React with style components. Because most people, if they're using their own CSS and JS library or their own CSS build stack, they don't want to bring in, and, and rightly so, another like dependency just to style a couple of their grids. And so I eventually moved to building my own CSS framework based off of it. So you can bring in Bedrock just as a CSS framework into like a Jamstack or like something like um, 11D or whatever, and just bring that in. It's based off using data attributes and custom properties. So you get that kind of prop-like feel that you do with the React component, but it's all CSS. And it was really easy with the CSS and JS library that some of the logic and some of the things I wanted to do, I just did in JavaScript because I was already in that land. But when I go into CSS framework, it forced me to like, how do I do this in just CSS? And I've been able to recreate most of everything. The only thing I haven't been able to recreate in CSS was the masonry grid because there's not a way to like recalculate the height of every single like element in there without like having a resized observer or something like that yeah. to like refigure out what that height is under the hood. Yeah. I think they're gonna have to build masonry grid by default into the spec. And just have that done under the hood for you, because I don't think there's going to be. You think that would happen with the CSS? I mean, CSS has like made sleeps and bounds in the last like you know five to eight years. Uh, you think they'd have something that do something that dynamic? I think they could. I mean, obviously, if I'm doing it with JavaScript, they could do it probably more efficiently with uh, C and all that, or whatever they're they're using. I just don't think the masonry grid pattern is like popular enough anymore that they like it's now just Pinterest. Yeah. That I don't think they really is ever going to make it above the line as like importance. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I, I interviewed at Pinterest, and that was my interview problem. <laughs> was like recreate that check system to find out heights and when you should push things to the left and right. Uh, it was like some trivial JavaScript. It took me a lot longer than I don't have the. I never got the job, so it took me a lot longer to to do it at that time. But I think about that problem all the time. It's a fun little side project on the weekends. I probably wouldn't have got it because it took me like a year to figure it out. Oh, really? And I, <laughs> in fact, the day I figured it out, it was me just like throwing crap, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Hey, this is not breaking; it's still working." And it was in a code pen, and so I was like, "Oh crap! Like, no, how do I move this over?" Anyway, yeah, I would not have done that in an interview. Like, it was just like throwing mud on the wall, making it stick, which it's kind of interesting. That's usually how like real developing goes, but like we get interviewed as if we're like. That's not how we really develop. 
where we don't just throw ball on the wall. Yeah, it's like solve this problem instantly. Yeah, yeah. It the whole process of um, of interviews is uh, well, you know, it, it's changed a lot going remote because now now you have a your you are focused on the interaction, remote interaction. So it's out in this, the whiteboard component still exists, but I think I honestly think there's less of an emphasis now because the industry sort of pushed away from that. But you know, solving all the world's problems and you know a 45 minute coding interview, like it's yeah, I think that needs to change. I've had a lot of bad experiences, so like I, I'd rather not do that ever again. But I don't think I'll ever interview for another dev job ever again as well. Yeah, exactly. It, it's a hard problem because I've been on both sides, obviously, and it's the equivalent of like getting married to someone by only going on two dates and, and making that decision whether you want to like really get married to that person. So. On, on that, and I, I can see why they want to do as much as they can to like make feel more secure in that decision. But like, it's also like going on dates where you don't actually interact with the person in the way that you normally would, and then get, deciding to get married. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard decision. No, hundred percent. Yeah, it's <laughs> it is a hard decision, and it um it makes it even harder when the stakes are so high because like dev salaries have they've inflated to a, in a level that now it's like. So if I was going to start a soccer club and go compete on the world stage in like the MLS, if I'm paying every soccer player, you know, lower six figures, uh, which is more of like a dev salary, I want to make sure that this player is going to like be able to run the gauntlet of whatever amount of games in the season. So I am going to put, I'm going to basically have them run drills and see how they interact. Uh, and I think in software it's kind of similar. Yeah. Like they're gonna you're gonna run a bunch of drills, see how you interact, and see if you have, I guess, the grit or the sort of the sixth sense of like, I've seen this pattern before. Let me go into my like my my matrix brain and pull down the code out of the out of the cloud. Yeah, yeah. So, and I I guess it also depends on the level. Like you said, yeah. If it's a more senior position, yeah, you're gonna throw them through the drills and be like, have they seen these patterns enough? Especially patterns we see in this day-to-day job, you want to throw those patterns at them. Uh, there was one company I went and interviewed for, and they did a lot of network calls, and so they they grilled me on async fetch calls and like, what do you do with race conditions and like you know things like that. And it made sense because that's what they were doing, and so they wanted to see that like, just because I was a senior dev, was I a senior dev who had actually done a lot of fetch calls and I'd deal with that async, or was I the Throw it once and don't have to worry about it. Kind of a kind of a dev. Yeah. And so I didn't accept the job, but like I, I actually kind of felt proud that I could actually get through that interview, and they wanted to hire me. So that was something I was proud of. But yeah, the uh, for the more junior devs, I still remember on one of our one time we asked a question to someone who we wanted to bring in as more junior, and his answer was the perfect answer. He was like, "I actually don't know what you're talking about, so I'd probably Google everything." And we just like this is the guy we he ended up being the one we would actually offered him the position because he was like a honest about like not knowing what his skill set was and b like what he would actually do. It's like I just Google that until until I worked on it and see what other people did. And I was like, yeah, at your level, that's probably the best thing you could do. Yeah. You know, and uh, honesty is the best policy. So, you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta fake it until you make it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I, I'm glad I'm at this side of my career where I don't have to go through you know these um, hard interview questions. I hope that as we start growing and scaling the team at OpenSauce, that we don't we don't go through the hardest <laughs> and trying to um, figure out if you know 
uh, specific details about network calls in the browser and stuff like that. Because I don't think I could answer that. Like it's, it's one of those things that I just haven't seen it, haven't touched in a while. There was a thing I was doing last night, and it took me a while. It was like something trivial, like a developer thing, and I had to like look it up. And it was like I just could not figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it's just because I haven't shipped code that way in a long time. It's like regex, like. When you do it, like you're like you feel really smart because you figured out how to do something. Yeah. But then once it's set, like you never touch it again because it's now doing the thing you want, and so you never remember regex again. Yeah. And so like regex is one of those things that like is always everyone fears because they don't do it enough to have built that like pattern in their heads of like oh I obviously need to do this. There, there's people out there who can do it, but most people who deal with regex are like they end up just googling like, because someone else figured it out, and it's a lot faster to like use their regex. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So uh, I, I did want to transition us to picks. I know we're like, we're approaching the end of, end of the time we had allotted, but appreciate Travis talking about Bedrock and also your, your sort of upbringing and, and story into into being a dev. There's a lot of correlation. I, I'm glad we've connected because um, we'd love to talk more about your background and your finance. Uh, kind of lived through you and your finance role <laughs> because I never got one. Totally fine. We can totally like geek, geek out on what you could have been. <laughs> Yeah. So speed of geeking out, uh, let's uh, let's switch to jam picks. Uh, these are things that we're jamming on. Also, sorry, listeners, definitely check out Bedrock. Um, so I didn't even mention like the the GitHub repo, but if you Google, uh, sorry, if you GitHub, I don't know if Google or GitHub is the right. What's the right verb on that? But what's the uh, Bedrock dash layouts is the org, and then the, the repo is Bedrock. But you know, we didn't even talk about Bedrock Solid as oh, well because yeah. you started messing around with that. Yeah, that that was another reason for the CSS library it allowed me to do Bedrock Solid. But yeah, we can geek out on that in, the, in a future podcast, maybe. <laughs> okay, excellent. All right, let's talk about picks, jam picks. These things you're jamming on could be music, food, technology related. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'll go first. Yeah, I've been a heavy Slack user for a very long time, but it's been a while since they've been like a, a small engineering team or just a small cohort of engineers. And uh, we've been trying to figure out like how do we keep people updated. But also not have to have like another meeting, and I, I'm like I'm a big fan of not doing a stand up call. Like I don't mind stand ups in person, but stand up calls tend to be it's just like a sense of dread for me to have another call, break my day, and then like go sit and like listen to somebody over talk about something that should have been like one minute. Um, so I was looking for stand up bots basically for Slack, and I've landed on DailyBot, and DailyBot's pretty nice because as a I've also never been on this end of the engineering where I, I people report back to me as opposed to me reporting up to somebody else. So DailyBot's nice because I can see what everyone's blocked on, what everyone's working on. Uh, it kind of like get a it's like a it's a ritual where you just get pinged by the bot. You type in what you're going to work on, what you're blocked on, and then you get that consistent conversation every day that you would get with the standup. So definitely recommend people check out. Daily bot. I looked at landing pages of a lot of these like small little Slack applications, and uh, this is the one that was recommended by one of the engineers that had used it before. So uh, I'm like in a weird position where I continue to look at like these small little SaaS solutions because I want to solve a problem without building it myself. If you asked me like five, five, ten years ago, I would have built <laughs> a Slack integration bot myself, uh, and that would have been my weekend, and I would have been like, oh man, now I have to support this thing forever. Because I I was over ambitious, but I'm now of the opinion: <laughs> just go see if someone's built it, and we'll charge you five dollars a month for it. Awesome. Yeah, no, no. I think that's a very good point. Like going remote, the one thing I've noticed is like you don't have the other team who sits there, and you're 
outside the meeting room trying to get you out of the room. And so all meetings take longer. Yeah. And stand up. The one that's supposed to be like the shortest one ends up being an hour meeting. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they turn in the sinks because then it's like, oh yeah. It turns out this was broken and it's a bigger area than it was. Okay, let's actually go take another two hours and like diagram what's actually happening with this thing. And that's what stand-up divulgence. But what I love is that now you can see that like faster and then you can plan ahead and have the actual meeting. So I love the opinion, and I guess that my pick is Daily Bot, but my other opinion is like, I try to not have meetings Monday and Fridays and not because like I don't want to talk to anybody, but more it's like, I'd rather have like impromptu meetings Monday and Fridays so the calendar is like completely wide open. So if like you start the week and you're like, hey, I need to talk to you, or you end the week and hey, I need to talk to you, or we need to sync up, it's, there's no like dancing around trying to figure out how to how to fit on a calendar with other folks who have a calendar as well. And with most engineers, they don't have like a full calendar. It's just writing code. But with me, like I tend to have a full calendar, so I, I try to keep those days open. So if we if we do need to stand up or if we do it in sync, we can do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Ready for my pick? Yeah, let's go. I've been recommended this for a while, but I never actually sat down and watched it. But it's Welcome to Wrexham with Ryan Reynolds and and Rob McElhenney, who bought the lowest tier soccer team in Wrexham Wells, the lowest. And not only was it really entertaining and a fun kind of documentary, but it was actually, I finally got soccer for the first time by watching this. Honestly, like... I've watched soccer for at the World Cup and like that's not the same type of like experience as watching league soccer like and understanding what relegation and promotion and I started to kind of understand that because I started watching Ted Lasso. Yes. But like really understanding like the the anxiety of like what a tie can give you and like I'm totally coming from like the US mindset like I NBA is my the game I watch most of the time. And so I'm used to watching like 100 point games on average and just like the, the anxiety when you have a close game and it's like a uh, basketball where it's every, you're trading back baskets and it's whoever can like make the final basket and, and you're going to win by that two points or whatever at the end. That's the anxiety you have the entire game with soccer <laughs> and understanding that like I think I could probably actually get into watching it now. Now I understand. How that works? Did you watch the the world? Well, I guess this was after the World Cup, but did you watch the World Cup recently? Um, I didn't. <laughs> I know that's like I don't know World Cup. Like I still don't get it because it, it's the game is more about like whether you win or not, and you're out. Like, but like that's not how I I like league sports a little bit better in playoffs and understanding because I like to see all the games that lead up to where people like actually get positioned and things like that. And yeah. Like totally understanding, like that, like a tie still means a lot. Whether like, even though it's a tie, now the one thing I'm still never gonna get is like the concept of like refs giving soccer teams like extra time, and they just get to decide randomly. Like, eh, it's about this amount of time. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's like my the like when I was buying this house and the uh, the home appraisal. Some guy walks around the house and he's like, "Your house is about." 350,000. I just like, where did you come up with that number? And I know they have things, but it's, it sounds like you're just making this up as well. Like, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an interesting sport. I did watch a lot of the World Cup. Um, cause it was like, it's at the morning time as like a making coffee was like when the games were 
on during the week. Yeah. So I was like, oh, let me just throw up and see, like, watch like 10 minutes of, of whatever match. I never watch, like, I never sit and watch the entire thing, but uh, it's nice background noise as you're trying to sort of like step away from the hard problems downstairs. And um, so, yeah, I, I've, I'm actually going to check out this. Uh, I've, been, I've seen it on. Uh, it's on Netflix, right? It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, I've definitely seen it across my my feed, but uh, definitely check it out because I have a lot of respect in like professional sports. Uh, I guess as I get older, I'll probably watch golf eventually. But yeah, I I have this whole core like part of my open source pitch around finding the best developers in in open source. I think I, did I give you the pitch around the NBA? Yeah. No, I know nothing about the NBA. Yeah, yeah. So it, you gave me the general pitch. Yeah, and I kind of, I kind of alluded it to uh, in in this conversation. But like, if you want to be the best, you have to play with the best. Uh, so if you want to be a better basketball player, you got to play with better basketball players. Yeah. And if you want to be a better developer, you've got to write code with better developers because you won't ever like cross that chasm. Which is why so many people make the jump to San Francisco. Or so many people make the jump to a bigger company because there's, there's better developers at bigger companies. Or at least there's more developers. Uh, that's the, the assumption is that they're better, but yeah, not always the case. Well, there's a higher chance that there's going to be more better developers that you can like latch on to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. With that being said, Travis, thanks so much for the conversation. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and end it here. And uh, folks, check out Bedrock Layout. Uh, check out Travis. And Travis, you, we'll have your Twitter in the um, in the show notes as well. Thanks a lot. And uh, with that, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.